Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing The Shining. The Shining was written by Stephen King and was published in 1977. And the film adaptation, directed by the late and great Stanley Kubrick, came out in 1980. Yes. Pretty shortly after. Mm-hmm. We are doing it! <laughs> We've teased you all long enough. (laughs) (laughs) We've teased you all long enough with other Stephen King adaptations. I know. To be fair, we are huge teases because the first Stephen King one that we did was Christine. Yeah. (laughs) But that was a great one because that one is a film adaptation that is like not very well known Mm -hmm. um, by, I forget, the guy who did The Thing and... Uh, Oh, John Carpenter. John Carpenter. Thank you. Yeah. So that one was interesting. And then obviously Pet Cemetery we did recently. Mm -hmm. But now, thanks to our patron, Ryan Lazarus. Yes. For requesting this one. We could no longer put it off. No longer put it off. And we kind of, we've been putting it off just because we know it's so iconic. Mm -hmm. And we sort of approach iconic things with a little bit of hesitation. Just because like, it's a lot of pressure you know we want to feel like we can talk about it enough and also give people that like both the book and movie you know what they want in this episode but also like I think we need to have the perspective like we're not we're not ever going to do 100% you know what I mean no we could talk about some of these things for like days we don't pretend to be experts on any one adaptation that we cover no especially this one which my god we'll get into it but you could get into every goddamn detail you could about specifically the movie you could make a whole movie about making the movie which Which they did (laughs) they did and also a movie about the conspiracy theories surrounding the movie which they have called room 237 Mm -hmm. so yeah there's a lot that could be delved into that we'll probably just gloss over yeah but that's what we're about yeah and you guys know that you know that we're (laughs) we're just like we get at what we like about it and we talk about some of it but if only we could talk about it more. Yeah. But we just don't have we don't. time. <laughs> <laughs> it's a combination of time, and we don't care that much, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, also, we've had many requests for this episode, not just from our lovely patron, Ryan, no, but from other no. people. So, yeah, Ryan was kind of the, the kick in the butt for us to finally mm-hmm. do it. It's also cool because The Shining has really suddenly, randomly, too, kind of been brought back into pop culture a little bit recently because yeah. uh they are doing a movie adaptation of the sequel that was written to the shining called dr sleep yeah and the trailer for that just dropped recently yeah it's like we timed it i know right <laughs> and in that movie they recreated scenes from kubrick's the shining which people were talking about and then they also just created a 4k restoration of this film mm-hmm. which we actually had the privilege to see ourselves in a the theater yeah we went to the pittsburgh uh carnegie science center mm-hmm. here and they have a huge theater and so we were able to see the restoration it was cool it was cool it was, i was really glad to get to see this movie again in an environment that like really i guess just like cinematic cinematic and yeah you could really get invested in it and you're kind of like 
I mean, the screen is so big. <laughs> yeah. You could just kind of. And you could just like. Wom, wom, wom. <laughs> That's my impression. Of that the... was great. That was. <laughs> Did you do the score? <laughs> it's just you doing that into a microphone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, that was nice to get to see the movie in that format. Mm-hmm. And so we really. We watched the movie in the best possible conditions I think we possibly could have asked for. Oh, yeah. Definitely. So keep that in mind <laughs> <laughs> as we discuss it further. Yeah. And so let's stop talking about it. Yeah. And just talk about it. <laughs> uh, both stories start off in a very similar manner mm-hmm. uh, with Jack Torrance's interview for the uh, caretaker position. At the Overlook Hotel. Yeah. We all pretty much know the story, but, you know, it's a hotel in the Colorado mountains and it closes during the winter months because it's so isolated. So they need someone to stay there and kind of like keep an eye on things and make sure the whole place doesn't go to shit. And Jack is there interviewing for the role. And yeah, what happens in this interview, really? Uh, Both versions play a little differently in the book. He absolutely hates Allman, the guy who's interviewing him. He like immediately he like is calling him a prick in his head and can't stand him in the book, in the movie. Their relationship's a little more, you know, fine, fine, like totally normal. But we get a little bit of backstory uh, to Jack in the movie in this scene. Very just subtle allusions to what is really delved into in mm-hmm. the book. Yeah. But essentially, uh, he was a former school teacher and. He's a writer. A writer. And he's looking to take this opportunity of seclusion to like really work away at a writing project fizz. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the book, it's specifically a, a stage play. And in the movie, I don't think it's really defined. Yeah, at all. I think it's just a book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of like his his motivation for doing this. Uh, the book definitely plays it off as being a little bit more uh Uh, necessary desperate desperate yeah yeah we find out that jack is an alcoholic um right now he's been sober for a time but before that he was out of control you know he was blowing all his money on this he was coming into work you know late and you know hungover um and then he had a couple incidents that sort of scared him straight runs over a bicycle with a friend of his and like they think that they killed a child. Luckily, no one was injured in the incident. And he also um, injures his son, Danny, by pulling his arm and breaks his arm. So these incidents kind of lead him to be sober. And he has been for a while. But he also lost his job as a teacher. Yeah. And that happened in an incident that the movie doesn't address at all, where uh, he is in charge of like the debate team and he lets a kid go, uh, kicks him off the team basically for not, you know, being good enough. And that kid later is slashing his tires and Jack catches him and beats the shit out of the kid. Yeah. Like really just pummels him and like it takes teachers to restrain him Mm -hmm. from doing any further damage. And this is a really interesting aspect in the book that is brought up. Again and again, it's kind of like this thing that haunts him a little bit. Yeah. Because he was sober when this happened. Like, he had been sober for a little bit. Yeah. But clearly his anger issues don't just come from drinking. There's more. It's deeper. It's deeper than that. Mm -hmm. And so this incident with George Hatfield, the kid he beat up, Mm -hmm. is something that kind of, like, is brought up again and again in various ways. And I, I really enjoy 
how Stephen King does that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's there's a lot of depth to Jack's backstory in the book. Mm-hmm. Not not nearly as much in the movie. No, in the movie, it just kind of seems like they want to come up here just for the heck of it. And yeah. more like Jack really wants to get this project done and he needs this time to work and he's bringing his family up here to make some money and to just do this kind of easy job. But in the book, we really get that sense of like, this is his last option. You know, he's out of work. They have no money. No. They don't know what to do. He and his wife, Wendy's relationship is on the rocks. Like they don't know if they're going to make it. So it's kind of like, no, this is his last hope. Yeah, there's and that's like a element that's brought up again and again when things start getting bad at the hotel. It's yeah. kind of like we can't go back like we have nothing to go back to. We have no money mm-hmm. like we basically have to stay here. So that's also a strong motivation throughout the story. Yeah. Uh, but Jack gets the job. Uh, he he lands it with Allman and. Then we get a little bit of a glimpse to their apartment back where they live with Danny, his son, and his wife, Wendy. Mm-hmm. And Danny is five or six. Yeah, five. Yeah. And he, we quickly realize that he is special. He has what is known as the shining. We don't have a name for it as of yet in the yeah. book. But he sees things before they happen, and he knows things. We have a few examples of this, like... Oh, he knew when his dad misplaced this box of his, like Danny knew where, where it was. And he knew that they were going to go to like a fun trip to the museum or the park or something ahead of time. And he's able to kind of sense what his parents are thinking and feeling. And we really get a lot of Danny's inner struggle and confusion over adult things because he's getting these flashes of adult emotions, adult feelings, and he's trying to interpret them through his childlike lens. But he's super intuitive, very in tune with what his parents are going through right now, knows that his dad is a recovering alcoholic, even though he doesn't have the words for that, and also knows that the relationship between his parents is, you know, in trouble. Yeah, and I really liked this as a larger kind of like, I see it as like a metaphor for, Kids a lot of times are much more aware, I think, of what's oh, going yeah. on with their parents and their parents like to believe. Yeah. I think a lot of times their parents are like, he doesn't know anything. It's fine. He's, you know, just playing and is oblivious. But kids are a lot more aware, like not to Danny's level where he's like literally in tune with thoughts and emotions directly. But I do think that's something that I think kids carry a lot more emotional burden Yeah. Especially surrounding their parents and home life than like a lot of parents want to admit. Yeah. And especially when there's turmoil, you know, between parents, you know, kids pick up on that and they know and they internalize a lot of this stuff, too. Yeah. And um, Danny has a special friend who comes to him sometimes and tells him about things that will happen named Tony. In the movie, it is a little boy that lives (laughs) inside Danny's mouth. (laughs) That's what he says. And he (laughs) goes in his stomach. Yeah. He uses his little pointer finger to do the voice of Tony. And in both versions, book and movie, his parents just kind of accept it. Like he has this imaginary friend and it's no big deal. We get a scene in the movie where Danny kind of has this episode at the sink where he goes into this trance and he sees visions of the Overlook Hotel. And, you know, it's like bloody. There's all this terrifying imagery we get the iconic blood pouring from the elevator yes. scenes that mm-hmm. is just an amazing just like snippet of film it's so 
creepy and interesting. Yeah. And he, yeah, he, he has just these horrifying visions and goes into some kind of, uh, like you said, a trance. Mm -hmm. And so he has a doctor visit, uh, or, or, you know, Wendy does. And there's a similar scene in the book later on. It's when they're still at the Overlook Hotel and they go down to the town to Mm -hmm. see a doctor, but a similar interaction where the doctor examines Danny and kind of, you know, dismisses the episode. Yeah. Kind of says, like, I don't think there's anything out of the ordinary with him. He has an overactive imagination. This mm-hmm. can happen to kids sometimes. And kind of puts Wendy at ease about it being anything more than that. Yeah. But those opinions are kind of swept under the rug later as more evidence comes out that Danny isn't normal. Yeah. And... In the book, we get lots of the same types of visions that Tony is showing him, except instead of like the blood in the elevator, we get other types of images. We get something chasing Danny through the hotel that's evil. And we also get this word, red rum, that he sees and he doesn't know what it means. Yeah, yeah. Just this recurring yeah, motif of him seeing red rum. Mm-hmm. And, at one, and at one point or another, he brings it up to the doctor. He brings it up to his dad. And they're just like, I, I don't know what I don't that know what is. You're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because throughout the book, Danny is trying to learn how to read. Oh, yeah. And I think a lot of his motivation is to try to figure out what red rum means. Yeah, because oftentimes Tony shows him literal signs. Yeah. And he can't read them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes he can figure out what they're about. But like he actually wants to be able to interpret them better. Yeah. So he's like very committed to like, learning how to read Mm -hmm. and it kind of concerns his parents a little bit yeah uh but so once we get a glimpse into their like life and we were introduced to wendy and danny we get the whole family taking a trip up the mountains it's time to go to the overlook hotel yeah and i want to take a moment here and talk a little bit about the movie and it's set up for these characters Because I specifically thought about this scene in particular, because it's actually the first scene that we see the whole family together. Yes. And in terms of establishing character dynamics, I don't think it does a great job. No. (laughs) Because as they're going up, Wendy makes some kind of comment about like the altitude and the cold. Yeah. And uh, Jack is just like, "Mm -hmm." whatever. And then Danny's like, I'm hungry. And he's like, you should have eaten your breakfast. Yeah. And like. Then they talk a little bit more about, like, the Donner party and stuff. But, you know, it just doesn't establish how Jack feels towards Danny or Danny feeling towards Jack or, Mm -hmm. like, it's kind of, I I don't know. It's almost like a throwaway scene. And if anything, it just shows Jack's indifference. I I agree. Honestly, because he's a little hostile towards Donnie. Donnie, towards Danny <laughs> and to Wendy as well. Um, he already seems like irritated. He does. He and ar- you know what? That could just be like, oh, he's driving. You know, sure. it could just be that scene. But like, that's basically the only scene that we have when they're all interacting, just the three of them. It, yeah. Now, there's a scene later with uh, Jack and Wendy at the hotel mm-hmm. where she brings him breakfast and it's kind of a scene that seems normal. Like this is maybe what their normal interactions are like. Yeah. And they're not overly uh, affectionate affectionate or anything towards each other, but it's at least like kind of a normal scene. Yeah. And there's one scene later between Jack and Danny, but that scene is just like kind of creepy, really creepy. There's super creepy music going on. Yeah. And like Jack's telling Danny how much he loves him, but like, 
obviously with that music. I know. It's like, we can't believe any of it. <laughs> yeah. So the movie really wastes a lot of its beginning uh, where it could establish a relationship between these characters. Yeah. And kind of tosses it out the window. And I mean, people going to see this movie know it's going to be like a horror movie, right? You know? Yeah. Even when you first went to see it. So you know some bad shit's going to happen, but we at least need to start out at like a baseline level where things are fine. You, yeah, you need to know. I mean, this movie's about the disintegration of a family. Yeah. But what is that family at the beginning? And how do they interact with each other? Honestly, I feel like uh, Jack and Wendy's interactions are really weird. Yeah. And I can never, I could could not get a grip on like how they would have interacted with each other when they weren't at the hotel. No, exactly. Because we just get that one scene in the car. And before that, we don't even see them like in their home together. You know what? He treats her really like really meanly throughout the yeah. movie. Even at the beginning, he she says stuff about the hotel and she's always like, wow, this hotel is awesome. And he's just ignoring her. Yeah. He just seems very indifferent or it's really hard to put your finger on it, but just they don't have any kind of a affectionate, interesting dynamic at all. Yeah. And it's like it would be one thing if he was just an abusive asshole. Well, but yeah. We don't even know if that was the dynamic, really. Yeah. Like, and it's tough to say, like, how much of this is because of him breaking Danny's arm? You know, does Wendy still have anger pent up about that? Or, you know, is she worried about him becoming an alcoholic again? Or she doesn't seem worried about that. though. No, it, she doesn't. She seems like totally nice and just like, oh, things are cool. Like, whatever. Oh, she just seems like she's a happy person. You know what I mean? And Jack is just like, uh, you suck because you're annoying me, basically. Yeah. That's their entire dynamic. Yeah, there. Oh, God. Well, well, <laughs> well, there's still a little bit more to get into that, but we have to talk about Holleran first. Yeah. While they're touring the uh, hotel and getting acquainted with it, we meet Dick Holleran, the head cook of the Overlook Hotel, mm-hmm. and becomes a very prominent character. Yes. And right away, he senses Danny's shine mm-hmm. and talks to him in his mind. And then when the two of them get alone together, he kind of talks to Danny about the shining. And Danny has never had a word for it before and also didn't know that there was anyone else who had it. And Dick Halloran just kind of his role is to just basically expand Danny's world and be like, there are others that are like you, you know, yeah. and it's OK, um, but also to warn him about the hotel. Yeah, he kind of doesn't know how to go about it almost, but he kind of he tells Danny there are things places can shine like people do and yeah. the overlook shines And he says he doesn't think anything there can hurt him. They're like scary pictures in a book. So if he closes his eyes, things should go away and everything should be okay. Mm -hmm. But even Dick seems uncertain about that. Yeah. And he specifically tells him, don't go in room 217. Yeah. In the book. In the book. In the movie, he tells him, don't go in room 237. Well, he doesn't (laughs) even really tell him that. He just, Danny sees it in his mind and is like... Oh, oh, are yeah. you afraid of it? Um, and then he's like, no, nothing's in there, but just don't go in there. <laughs> Whereas in the book, he's actually like, listen, you know, there are some kind of scary things in the hotel. So just don't go in that room and stay away from probably the 
hedge animals out front. Yeah. And a couple other areas. And the presidential suite. Yeah. And also the basement and maybe the attic. And also... Maybe just don't go anywhere. (laughs) Stay in the kitchen the whole time. Pretty much. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, yeah, so Dick... And he also tells Danny, at least in the the book, he says, if anything happens, give me a shout like mentally and maybe I can hear you. Yeah. Because he's going down to Florida uh, during the off months of the Overlook Hotel. And he knows that Danny's shining is strong. um, So he knows that he'd probably be able to reach him if he shouted in his head. Yeah. Loud enough. Yeah. So that basically leaves us off uh, in the movie for a little bit, essentially. Um should we talk about a little bit more about the movie or should we talk about the book? Let's talk about the movie. Okay. So I have I have a I have a bone to pick already. I just have to get out of the way with the movie. What is up with the title cards? You know, I didn't mind them. I couldn't get a fix on like their purpose. Like it starts off with like titles like the yeah. interview at the beginning. Then it goes one month later. Yeah. And then it just starts naming days. It's like Wednesday, then Tuesday, and then and then it's like 4 a.m. and then 4 p.m. like at times and I don't know and it, at certain points the way it cut to the title cards yeah was almost comedic because it would be this <laughs> huge swell of music yeah and then just be like don't it'd be like Tuesday oh yeah it scared me a couple times <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know like they were just so inconsistent in terms of like what they were I mean I, I guess they're getting in shorter and shorter increments I think where I was a little lost was I was like, are they counting down to something to a specific day? Yeah. Because in the book, we do get like a day that Danny sees in his mind. Oh, that's, that's like right. the bad day, like when everything's supposed to go to shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in the book, we get like constant updates about like what day it is, what time it is and like when things are happening. So that might be a carryover from the book where they kind of are counting down, but we don't know what they're counting down to in the movie. Maybe. Yeah. Because it was like Monday, Wednesday, but then it was like Monday again. And I was like, wait. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It just kind of made me laugh how like they kept changing what format it was like time or day or, you know, one month later. And I was just like, "Ah." and I was like, I just felt they were totally unnecessary. Yeah. So we all get to get this is a whole section that Adina and I. As we're outlining. As we were outlining to talk about this, we were like, what happens at this point in the movie? And we thought about it, and I was like, I feel like nothing happens until Danny goes in room 237. Not really. And we looked at Wikipedia at the plot, and no, nothing. It's like we couldn't remember, because it was like, we felt like there should be something there. Yeah. I mean, they're kind of exploring the hotel. Danny and Wendy go through the maze. Um Danny's riding his tricycle all around, <laughs> all around the hotel. You get a lot of furiously. tricycle. Get a lot of tricycle Jack shots. Jack is writing and typing on his typewriter. It's just like they're kind of going about their business. Yeah, and it's building atmosphere. Yeah. Like it's really building that like that buildup of isolation and kind of like mounting tension mm-hmm. with the music and everything. Like I get its purpose in a way, but really just felt like a huge gap of kind of like nothing of significance really going on for quite a while. Yeah. And there's another part in this I just have to call out. It's the scene where Wendy and Danny go into the hedge maze. Uh-huh. And we get this cut, and it's a very iconic shot of Jack Nicholson in his black turtleneck staring insanely yeah. out like out the window, out the window maybe window. or just like into space. Yeah. And just looking insane. Yes. And I was like, 
what has happened? Yeah, there's like no inciting incident or reason to suspect that something is happening with him. Like, no, we get one scene before this where he's writing and Wendy's like, hey, I thought I'd make us some sandwiches and is being yeah. really nice. And Jack just snaps at her. Yeah. He's it, a total bitch. Oh, he's such a dick. And it's hard to know, like, oh, is this the hotel starting to influence him? Or is this how he usually is? We don't know. Yeah, is this how he usually talks to Wendy? Because she's just sort of like, okay, all right. And then, like, leaves. It's very sad. It is. It seems unusual based on her reaction. Yeah. But still. But, yeah, then the next time we see him, he just looks like... That looks looks like a shot that should have been right before the third act when he totally loses it. Yeah. I, I don't know. It was just really bizarre. Mm-hmm. And this is where, for me, the movie drops the ball in a big way. Yeah. And that is, you know, this movie, like Stanley Kubrick is a really talented filmmaker. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, he's he's legendary in so many ways uh, with his films and his filmmaking and his style and uh, you know, he's really fantastic behind the camera. But in this instance, I kind of had a bit of like Christopher Nolan feelings where, you know, I think he's also a really talented filmmaker, but mm-hmm. sometimes I think his stories are lacking. They're more about the shots. Yeah. Like technically they're perfect and beautiful and gorgeous. But in this story, it just feels like nothing's done to establish the characters Jack's ramp up to insanity is just like so quick. Yeah. And I never felt like he was a good father or an interested father. No. And just so much in my mind was lacking in the script and the pacing and the story that it really, for me, is a big uh, problem with this movie. Yeah. It's more about like the iconic imagery. Yes. And the iconic scenes than characters that we understand or know what's happening with them or where they're going you know there's not really an arc for a lot of these characters for jack especially he doesn't have an arc you know he's just like he seems kind of normal but like we don't get anything about him really at the beginning and then he's crazy and it's like was he always crazy is the hotel making him crazy or is he just an asshole Like, that was going to kill his family anyway, you know? Yeah, and I, like, think that's supposed to be somewhat ambiguous. But to me, and it's hard to fault people for liking this movie because, like I said, technically speaking, it's really well done. Oh, yeah. The score is really good. The Mm -hmm. shots are really good. The performances, even though I have a problem with the way they're developed in the script. Yeah, they play out really well. The performances are really good. Yeah. But, uh... And there are movies that I like purely for their aesthetics, too. Oh, yeah. Where it's much more about the aesthetics, like action movies, for example, mm-hmm. like John Wick. I'm like, as long as the action's good. Yeah. You know what I like, mean? What is the plot? I, I don't, don't I don't care much about John Wick's like arc. So yeah. I do get that in instances. But for me, I think there was so much opportunity for this movie to be a really interesting character study. Yeah. That was just kind of totally thrown out the window in favor of aesthetics yeah so i agree and i think a lot of people love it because there are a million conspiracy theories oh yeah about this film (laughs) like we said there's a whole movie about them there are people who think uh stanley kubrick faked the moon landing he was the guy who filmed it and that in the shining is 
a confession like in details about like, oh, there's all these allusions to the moon landing. All of them are such bullshit. They're all bad. I read one article about how the man in the bear costume, which I don't know why it's a bear costume and not a dog costume. Oh, yeah. Like they kept referring to it as the bear costume, but I don't know what identifies it as one or the other. Yeah. But how that's all symbolic of how Danny was actually sexually abused by Jack. Wow. But like so much of that hinges on that imagery of the man in the bear costume and bear imagery throughout the movie that's really (laughs) subtle. Yeah. And it just gets to the point of being absurd Mm -hmm. in my mind where I was like, you can find any theme in any movie you want if you're going to look at it this closely. I think that's that can be the point of something like this, that it's such a cultural touchstone and such an icon that people can literally find whatever meaning they want in it, that it has ceased to be like one thing, you know? Yeah. And I get that. But yeah, it is very insane. <laughs> and, and I mean, with the way most films are made, you know, yeah, Stanley Kubrick was very picky about a lot of stuff, but also like actors have their say about how certain scenes play out. Yeah. Like they give input. And I know Jack Nicholson really yeah. influenced the way this character went and lines and scenes as well yeah and i think the sec the same goes with like set production and like camera work and like yeah it's not just stanley kubrick like a puppet master like controlling every <laughs> little detail and every tiny yeah like in order to tell you that the moon landing was fake <laughs> you know it's 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 much of it's movies are a collaborative effort for the most part and mm-hmm. i think just most people don't acknowledge that and there's just such a hype around stanley kubrick that is over the top. So yeah, there'd be more likely to be conspiracies in the book than in the movie. I think, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Cause it's the, just one person. The book is super layered. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's one person giving their like, yeah, they could get all kinds of crazy in there. They could. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, there's way more densely layered character and story and yeah, elements. so much that you could draw from. Yeah. I yeah. Let's start, let's start some book conspiracies. Exactly. Let's go there. <laughs> there aren't enough. <laughs> so okay my my little tangent about stanley kubrick and this movie are over so yeah let's talk about the book a little bit and yeah the books build up we get a lot of scenes uh if anyone has read a stephen king book you know that there is a shit ton of detail oh yeah (laughs) and a shit ton of backstory and a shit ton of people thinking things and then having like (laughs) Their flashbacks to their their history and then thinking more things. And yeah, I mean, it's great. I love it. But Stephen King is not known for being uh, <laughs> heavily <short>. edited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's just a lot of like internal thoughts, stream of conscience kind of moments. But it really does a good job of getting into characters minds. Oh, yeah. That is really effective for a story like this. You really feel like you know the characters, you know, not just Jack, but Danny and Wendy as well. And you're really seeing their inner thoughts and also the way they interact with each other and the way they view each other. There's so much to explore in these relationships. We see a lot of kind of creepy incidents happening. There's an incident with like wasps. There's an incident with uh, Jack and the topiary animals. That's oh, like yeah. unsettling where he <laughs> thinks he that they're moving and like going to attack him. And then he's like, no, 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 everything's fine. Danny sees things in the presidential suite. Yeah. He sees things in other parts of the hotel. And there's this 
really scary scene that I have to talk about. <laughs> because for me, this scene is scarier than Room 217. Yeah. Uh, it's the scene where Danny goes out to play in the playground. Mm-hmm. And Dick told him not to go into the playground, but he's like, it's probably fine. Like, <laughs> there's nothing. It seems okay. The sun's out. What could happen? So he's going in the playground. He's just having a good time. And then he goes into this, like, metal tunnel Yeah, tube. this concrete tube. Yeah, and it's just, like, one of those tubes kids can crawl through. But there's snow. And he starts to, like, climb through the tube. And then he realizes that he sees up ahead that it's kind of blocked by snow. And he's like, oh, okay, I just have to, like, turn around. But then he starts to get really scared. Yeah. And, like, he can, he swears that there's something at the end of the tube. There's like, I love it because there's like old dry leaves from the fall yeah. at the bottom of the tube. They start rustling. Yeah. And he hears like a rustling like near him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh my God. It's so scary. <laughs> like it's terrifying because not only is there a thing in the tube, but he's under the snow. Yeah. And so he feels like suffocated and trapped and then he doesn't think he's going to be able to get out and then he's like crawling from the tube and then something is behind him and then the snow caves in and then he's trying to dig through the snow to get out and he swears that like something is grabbing at grabs at him and oh my god <laughs> this scene is terrifying and you're, yeah. you're kind of led to believe that it's like the spirit of like a dead child mm-hmm. on this playground and ugh, <laughs> it was awful it is very frightening and this makes me think of uh back to pet cemetery the scariest part in that book for me was a scene where the main character the father was in his garage and it was dark and he was trying to find the light switch yeah and he starts panicking Mm -hmm. and he thinks about how creepy it would be if a hand touched him suddenly yeah and then he's like panicking yeah and stephen king just like taps into that nerve yeah so well that we all have the ordinary horrors you know the fear of the dark the fear of like enclosed spaces Mm -hmm. where you're suddenly like oh shit i can feel exactly what's happening right now and it is not good yeah (laughs) yeah that's where stephen king like I think does his best work is just with like the most mundane, mm-hmm. creepy little things yeah. that you can just relate to so well. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, once Danny escapes, then the topiary animals are like chasing him <laughs> as well. Yeah. The topiary <laughs> animals are like the most absurd part of this story that like shouldn't work. But they do. But they do. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like these giant hedge animals that are like moving whenever you're not looking at them yeah and getting closer and closer mm-hmm. and like the way he describes like the twigs and like everything that makes them up and like moving and yeah it's really effective it is it's excellent switching gears a little bit we also during this time learn about jack's father yeah and this is a just a, a further like there's so many aspects to jack's past that you are filled in on that really make up his character yeah and one is his father who uh was a surgeon i'm guessing or a nurse Mm -hmm. and he was a drunk and he would come home and sometimes be rough with him like not like directly hit him necessarily but like throw him around kind of and there's this terrifying incident that happens at the dinner table where he has a cane and he just starts beating his his wife Mm -hmm. jack's mom yeah And it's just a terrifying scene of like this rage that comes out of nowhere. Yeah. And it really sticks with Jack. Mm hmm. And he has such this such of a 
this love hate relationship with his dad because he was like his dad's favorite for a while. And he does remember his father showing him kindness and love and also special favoritism because he didn't show that same affection to his other children. Um, so Jack has this, and Stephen King does a great job describing it, but he has this great dichotomy of loving his father and also fearing him. So the love and fear mix really well together for Jack. And he begins to hate his father kind of after this incident where he beats his mom like half to death. But there's still that fear and love mixed up together. And his dad dies and Jack has sort of sworn that like he'll never become that. Yeah. But again, we are, you know, sometimes defined by the traumas in our past. And we see this a lot in this book. Yeah. The trauma of Jack's past coming back and what that type of emotional, mental and physical abuse can do to a child and what type of person you would grow up into. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that kind of hereditary aspect of taking on your parents' bad traits and seeing that in yourself is is a strong theme Yeah, in this story. And it's also uh, interesting in this book how Wendy starts noticing as they spend time at the Overlook, mm-hmm. Jack starts to, not only does he start getting just like more and more um, kind of just... Uh, angry and kind of snippy with her and just kind of like irritated but he starts picking up on some of his habits that he had when he was an alcoholic yeah which i really loved this in the story how Mm -hmm. kind of weird and unsettling it was yeah like he starts chewing excedrin yeah tablets which he used to do when he had hangover and he starts wiping his lips constantly with a handkerchief Mm -hmm. and just like all these little qualities that wendy can pick up on and see and knows like, he used to do this when he was drinking. Yeah. But she also knows there's no alcohol at the Overlook Hotel. Yeah. So she's like... What's happening? Yeah, she doesn't know what's going on exactly. hmm And I think that's really effective. It is. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about Stephen King here. Yeah, And yeah. his writing of this book, because he wrote this book, and he's, you know, publicly come out and said, like, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was writing a version of myself in Jack. Yeah. And basically saying, you know, I was struggling with alcoholism and I also felt a lot of rage towards my family sometimes. And, you know, he was also dealing with the burden of the past. His father abandoned him as a child Mm. and was a failed writer and an alcoholic and also struggling with the fact that, you know, for a while his he and his family were very poor Mm. and they had nothing and they had to like struggle for everything And in some interviews, King has said, like, you know, I was writing it almost like I had to, like, exercise it from myself, like my deepest fears of what I could turn into. Yeah. Like, you know, my anger and irritation at my kids, like, could that turn to, like, physically abusing them, you know, which I think is really interesting and really shows, I think, why Jack is such a sympathetic character. Yeah. Because, you know, King really puts a lot of detail, a lot of thought into Jack. And we really get to see his struggles as wanting to be a good father, but just being weak. Yeah. Yeah. We we see this. Yeah. This internal struggle so much in the writing. And I think like. If you're familiar with Stephen King at all, like his actual history, a lot of people know he has a history of substance abuse. 
whether it's alcohol or cocaine yeah or you know what have you like um painkillers like he he's kind of had different waves in his career where he's been uh struggling with one substance or another and i think even if you don't know that i think reading this story i i think you can just tell that so much of jack's story feels so personal yeah and it really is coming from an honest place where it's like you you can tell it's coming from king yeah and these fears and these uncertainties and uh, you know, when he was struggling as a, rung, a young writer mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like this overlooked job being his last chance to write something good. Having to support his family. Yeah. Yeah. Getting his writing career down, supporting his family, like all these things. And like knowing King like went through a phase like that, you see so much of Jack in King, mm-hmm. I think, to an extent and vice versa. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really Jack's story. You it know? is. It is. All right, let's go to room 217 slash 237. I have a fun little fact for you. (laughs) Now, you may not think this is true if you believe the whole moon landing theory, (laughs) uh, because this is oftentimes like a cited evidence for that theory. The Mm -hmm. fact that he changed the room number from 217, which it was in the book, to 237 in the movie. Yeah. The reason he did that was... Even though all the interiors of the film were on a soundstage, yeah. they did do exterior shots at a real hotel. Mm-hmm. And the owner of the hotel let them do it, but he said, can you please not make it room 217? Because that's a real room here. He's like, and if you do that, he's like, I'm worried no one will ever want to stay in that room. Yeah. And so Stanley Kubrick agreed to that and he changed it to 237 because that wasn't a real room okay. at that hotel. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason... For the change in the number, apparently. No, Ian, it's about the moon. <laughs> it's <laughs> the fact that the moon is 237,000 miles away from the Earth, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> and room N-O on the key tag is an anagram for moon room, even though it's not, because it only has three O's instead of four. <laughs> I'm serious. I watched, I watched a decent number of conspiracy theories, and they were... Real funny. Educational purposes only. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> so finally, Danny's curiosity about room 217, 237 gets the best of him. Yeah. And he lets himself into the room. And in the book, we get more of his perspective. Yeah. The movie kind of cuts out his perspective, which I think is interesting. Yeah. In the book, he enters the room. He goes into the bathroom and discovers in the tub, which is full of water, yeah. the dead, bloated corpse of this woman. Who died in that room. Who died in that room. Mm-hmm. And of course, she opens her eyes and looks at him. And then starts coming towards him. Gets out of the tub and walks towards Danny. Yeah. And Danny is trying to get out of the room. He's freaking out. He's kind of having a panic attack. And he remembers what Halloran told him, which was, they're just pictures, they can't hurt you. So he, like, closes his eyes and is like, they can't hurt me, can't hurt me, can't hurt me. And then it's like, then he felt, like, the hands close around his neck. And then it, like, stops his perspective and it goes to, like, someone else. (laughs) So good. Oh, And so then he just shows up suddenly to Wendy and Jack Mm -hmm. with bruises on his neck. Yeah. And in both versions, uh, in the movie, Jack was having, like, a bad dream And in the book at this time, Jack was sleepwalking. But when Danny shows up with bruises on his neck, Wendy immediately thinks Jack did it. Yeah. 
you know, Jack hurt Danny once before he hurt his arm and mm-hmm. now he's done it again. So she just like runs off with Danny and goes to their room and like locks the door. Mm-hmm. And Jack, Danny eventually tells her, tells Wendy that it was a woman in yeah. this room. And so then Jack goes to investigate. Mm-hmm. So we get Jack's perspective. Yeah. And in the book, he goes up to the room, doesn't see anything at mm-hmm. all. And looks in the tub, nothing. And he's like, whatever. And then he turns to go and he hears like the shower curtain pulled. Yeah. And then he looks back and he thinks he can see a silhouette of someone in the tub. And he's like, nope, 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 nope. So he like leaves the room, but then he can hear something coming towards him. Like he can hear like wet footsteps like coming like down the room towards him. And then he like locks the door and is like backing away and he closes his eyes, but he can hear the handle, the door handle like turning, like someone's trying to open it. And he like refuses to accept that anything's going on. Comes back down to the family and he's like, nothing's there. Everything's fine. Yeah. Just really is in total denial at this point. I really love the way that book scene played out. Yeah. I thought it was super creepy. Mm-hmm. I love that they didn't try to overdo Danny's scene. Yeah. But it was creepy in its own way. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the movie, we get the very iconic scene with the naked lady. Yes. That Jack Looks finds. sexy, but really, she's dead. She's really a, another dead, bloated corpse. Yes. That Jack finds out he's that making out Jack, with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and... It's hard to say because I don't love this because in in the in the book Jack really doesn't experience anything too frightening about the hotel. No. There's a scene with the topiaries that like kind of scares him. Mhm. And this obviously scene. he hears the woman coming but like it's not as frightening. Yeah. Most of the hotel's interactions with Jack are like trying to persuade him. Yeah. So this scene is like clearly like horrifying to him. Mhm. Yet he's quickly able to like i don't know repress it and yeah. say nothing happened and then he's like i want to work here yeah <laughs> i want to be the caretaker forever <laughs> so it, it's a little weird to me that they had the scene play out the way they did yeah Cause in not, the movie yeah because i'm not really sure what yeah, its point it's was it's not clear why he's repressing it or like because he also goes down and says no one was there yeah, yeah, the exact same mm-hmm. exchange. He's like, it was empty. Yeah. And he thinks, he he says that he thinks Danny did it to himself, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, around this time, in both versions, uh, Lloyd shows up. Oh, yes, Lloyd. Good old Lloyd. The bartender. <laughs> Jack begins hallucinating. And he found this scrapbook in the basement in the book and kind of like wants to write this history of the Overlook Hotel. So it's just like a sign of him getting more and more obsessed with the hotel and the whole hotel kind of creeping in on him. We don't get any of that in the movie, but in both versions, he kind of walks into the lounge bar area one day and starts talking to this guy that's there. I loved the way Stephen King is so good with his writing and what he's able to do with it. This is one good example. The first time he talks to Lloyd, Lloyd's conversation, his side of it, isn't in quotations. It, it'll just have written out, Lloyd agreed with him and shook his head. Or yeah. like... An imaginary person almost. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not like someone actually talking, but like kind of from in Jack's head almost. Yeah. Later on when he goes to visit Lloyd, it's in quotes. It's a conversation. It's an actual... 
So yeah, thing there. So it's yeah. a really great way of showing how it starts off mostly in Jack's imagination. Yeah. And him kind of like entertaining the idea and then him believing it. Mm-hmm. And it's just from the use of quotes and not quotes. But I think it's so effective. It is. And I'm glad that you remembered that and brought that up. Because yeah. Stephen King does do like use the text really well mm-hmm. to show things like he uses like italicized and quotational things and uses it to show people's like thoughts and like interjected yeah. like thought patterns that are really cool. I, I just love the way he does that in this book. Danny, he also does interesting things where Danny like doesn't really know what things mean. Yeah. And so he'll say something that he doesn't know the meaning of. And in that instance, he puts it all in capital letters. Kind yeah. of like it's the title of something. Mm-hmm. Like at one point he's talking about the men in white coats. Yeah. Who will come and get you if you go insane. Yeah. If you lose your marbles. Yeah. And so every time he refers to it, it's the men in white coats all in capital letters. Mm-hmm. Like this thing that he only has an idea about that he doesn't really it's understand. It's like an abstract concept. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... There's just so many things that King does with his writing in that way, just his use of text that is I love. Yeah. And it starts with it. it, it the Lloyd scene is no exception. Mm-hmm. Jack eventually sees not only Lloyd at the bar, but a whole party of people that are just hanging out in this lounge, talking and drinking and dancing. Some people are in masks. Some people are in costumes or outfits from like times past. And there's also actual liquor there as well yeah jack is finally having his his real drinks and yeah. is actually getting drunk for the first time mm-hmm. and we get a scene with him and grady who grady was the former caretaker who chopped up his entire family with an axe yep and went crazy mm-hmm. but like now he's like kind of just this embodiment of the hotel he's doesn't remember that past of his but is kind of like speaking on behalf of the hotel in a yeah. eerie way This scene in the movie is iconic because it takes place in this super vivid red bathroom. Yeah. That I actually heard was modeled after a bathroom in a Frank Lloyd Wright house. Oh, really? Which is which I can kind of see like it's very (laughs) architectural in a weird way. Mm -hmm. But I do like this scene a lot. Uh, It's kind of played out longly. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a lot of like weird pauses and but it's good because this is the turning point for Jack. Yeah. Where he finds. Grady kind of starts telling him, like, about, oh, you know, your son and your wife aren't really listening to you. I yeah. feel like you might need to correct them or <laughs> tell them, talk to them, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so he kind of convinces Jack that he has to, like, kill his family, basically. Yeah, and in so many words. Uh-huh. Especially if he wants the hotel to be, like, pleased with him. Yeah, because he wants to he wants to be there forever, essentially. He wants to be the caretaker. Yeah. So this is the turning point in both versions of the story mm-hmm. for Jack's character. Yeah. Around this time, Danny knows that they're in trouble. Mm-hmm. And in the book, Tony comes to him and tells him, like, call for Halloran. Like, he's your only hope, basically. And so Danny calls Halloran. In the movie, Halloran just kind of gets a vision of what's happening at the Overlook Hotel. It's not so much that Danny called him. It's almost like he just kind of sees something. It's unclear. Like, it's intercut with shots of Danny, like, super focusing and freaking out. So it's unclear if he's communicating with him purposefully. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm not entirely... I mean, it's uncertain, I should say. Mm -hmm. So Halloran is basically like, oh, shit. 
And then he's sort of like, why did I leave him up there? Like, I know (laughs) he's like, it's not safe. And so then he begins his long and arduous journey to try to get to the hotel and save them. I don't know why in the movie we get three scenes of like Halloran on the phone in his apartment. Yeah. Like trying to call people. And I'm like, is this? Uh, Yeah. Let's just get this going. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Also, I'm sorry, but those pictures. Yeah. In his apartment. I know. What the fuck was up with that? I don't know, but Kubrick has a history of loving to show naked women. That's true. So. Yeah, Dick just has these, like, two random framed photos of, like, nude women. Yeah. The only women of color in the movie, yeah. mind you. <laughs> Are sex objects. Yeah. So. And, like, each shot in the apartment has those women in it. I don't know. It was just, I didn't know if it was supposed to be funny or I just didn't know how to feel about I it. I didn't either. So I just had to, anyway. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about the whole movie ending. Let's just go through it. Let's just let's get it out of the way. Mm-hmm. Jack gets an axe and shows up to chop his family up. Yeah. Well, first, Wendy has like this weird scene with him. You know, she discovers the novel. Oh, oh, my God. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> You're I'm skipping. Ahead. I'm skipping a little ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> she finds his novel, which is just a bunch of typed all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. And I she's like, that. oh no, he's real crazy. <laughs> he's been crazy for a while. Yeah. I loved that. I thought yeah. that was so effective. It was. It's really good. Also, it, I loved how the format of each page changed. Yeah. Sometimes it was like one line after the other. Sometimes it was paragraphs of it. Like, yeah. I, I thought that was super cool too. It was, yeah, it was very visually effective. I mm-hmm. love that. But then she's like, oh no, he's crazy. He kind of confronts her and they have this weird scene where she's backing up and he's kind of advancing on her and they're having this conversation where basically Jack is just ripping on her and being like, you suck, you're a bitch, you're the reason like I can't write anything. And she has this baseball bat and she's basically like, don't touch me, don't touch me, don't touch me. And then she ends up hitting him over the head with it. (laughs) This scene, I think is, I love this scene in the movie. It's like one of my favorite scenes. It's just... Jack Nicholson finally getting to just be full out crazy. Oh, yeah. And just like making all these like really erratic movements and like facial expressions. Oh, yeah. And he's just, like he's really in his element right now. He is. And I I really like seeing him at this point in the story. Yeah. Wendy, on the other hand, though, I do not love what they did with her character. personally. No, she is from this point on. She's just crying. And screaming. Yeah. Full on hysterics. For this from here until the end of the movie. It's just like that. And I I get that is like a reasonable reaction. Yeah. In reality to have to this situation. But it gets, I think, exhausting. Yeah. As a viewer. And it also, and it's frustrating too because she's not an incompetent character by any means. No. Like she manages to knock Jack out yeah. at the end of this scene mm-hmm. and then drag his body into the pantry. Into the pantry and, and she gets the upper in. hand on him. Yeah. And even later she is smart enough to like do certain things to like get Danny out of the way and yep. like So she's a strong character, but and and Kubrick specifically cast Shelley Duvall in this role because he wanted an emotionally fragile feeling performance Mm. like that was like really just like and and stanley kubrick also on the set it's well documented that he was like especially mean to her and kind of like tormented her oh my god on set to try to like i mean she had hair loss she had like 
nervous panic attacks. Oh, and my God. Now, she has gone on record after the film saying she wouldn't do anything again. She understands what he was doing, and she's, like, happy yeah. that he did it. And, I mean, you know, some actors are method like that and want that kind of, you know, yeah. type of situation. But um, his whole approach to the Wendy character was... Very problematic for me. Yeah, and it's not Shelley Duvall's fault. I feel like it's a fault of the writing and the directing. I totally agree. Like, that was the performance he wanted out of her. Oh, yeah. And I mean, she she did it. Like, I can't even imagine. And Stanley Kubrick is notorious for doing a million takes. Mm -hmm. Like, even maybe more so than David Fincher. Yeah. Like, doing take after take after take after take to, like, wear down his actors. Yeah. To the point where they're, like, acting crazy on their own. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh... So, yeah, he's kind of sadistic. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, like this was clearly his goal and his intention. And it doesn't sit well with me, but. No. Other people might not have a problem with it at all. It's a choice. It is. It's (laughs) a choice. Shelley Duvall actually got nominated for a Razzie. Really? And also Stanley Kubrick got nominated. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Is that really surprising? That is surprising. Like, I knew the critical reception when this came out wasn't what it is today. Yeah. But I didn't know it was, like, that extreme. Wow. But... Maybe it was just because it was, like, the horror genre. I think people were a little more harsh on that, like, at that That's true. I think this was one of the movies that changed people's opinions on the horror genre. Yeah, that and The Exorcist, probably. Yes. Not around the same time. Yeah. Uh, What's happening? She hits him. She knocks him out. He's in the pantry. And then he gets out. Because <laughs> <laughs> of ghost powers. Grady lets him out. And then he comes up to their apartment in the hotel and is axing his way through their door, of course. And then Wendy gets Danny into the bathroom and then she gets the window open and gets him out. Yeah. And she tries to get out herself, but she can't like fit through the window. And she's basically like, go Danny, like go hide, like get away. And then we get... One of the most iconic lines <laughs> in cinematic history when Jack Nicholson axes through the bathroom door and says, here's Johnny. Here's Johnny. <laughs> One of the improvised lines by Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Uh, it's so funny, too, because I feel like that line has lasted longer than like, obviously, it was a reference to the Johnny Carson show. Yeah. But like, I think people I don't think people know that. No, not like, everyone. No. And I think, well, people just at least now more associate it with The Shining. Yeah. Over. Uh, the Johnny Carson show. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of funny how that stuff works out sometimes. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jack Nicholson is coming for her. She has the knife and she starts like stabbing his hands, which is great. I do love that no one but Jack Nicholson gets hurt in this movie. I mean, Halloran gets hurt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> No, Halloran. <laughs> it gets real hurt. <laughs> Correction. The only black character. Oh, yeah. Um, Danny and Wendy. Don't get hurt. Don't get hurt. Yeah. Only Jack gets hurt. That's true. So that's an interesting thing to think about because this obviously, yeah, Halloran gets axed when in the back when <laughs> he shows up. Heart. <laughs> to the, yeah, no, it is in the heart. It's, it's like it, right it, in the chest. It's right in the front. Yeah. Poor Halloran. I know. Like, he comes up to save them. And this is the moment where Jack, you know, is trying to come through the door. And then he hears the snowmobile, the snow vehicle. 
And instead, he goes after Halloran. So Wendy is spared. Halloran comes in and he's like, where are you guys? Hello. And then gets axed immediately. And then he's just dead. And like no one ever mentions him. Like Danny, like I think telepathically feels what happens. Yeah. Because it's And Wendy sees his body. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I mean... Poor Halloran. Like, he he saved them. He came all that way. It's his snow vehicle that, like, saves him at the end. Yeah. And he just gets brutally murdered. Yep. So, anyway, <laughs> uh, he, he axes Halloran. Yeah. And then he sees Danny. Mm-hmm. And he's after Danny. And then we get the iconic hedge maze chase. Yeah. Danny is running through the snow in the maze. And it's just like running pell-mell, helter-skelter, whatever you want to say, through the maze. (laughs) And it's like weirdly lit up in certain spots. Like the lighting is really good in this. And then Danny is sort of trying to just wear Jack down a little bit Mm -hmm. and ends up like backtracking with his footsteps, which is smart. Yes. Very smart. I loved that. Yeah. And he kind of hides. So Jack kind of keeps going past him and then danny goes back and follows his footsteps back yeah it's so smart he like just follows the path backwards yeah out of, out of the maze while jack is like lost. lost yeah um yeah and which at any point jack can turn around and go back through his own footsteps he could but he's so obsessed with finding danny yeah that he that, doesn't yeah that he's just like so into the maze at that point and mm-hmm. then obviously freezes to death yeah but I, yeah, I do love that Danny is outsmarts his dad. Yeah. And is able to. And, and that scene is so tense because he's like on his tiny, like little legs, like trying yeah. to like backtrack. No, and it's so cold. I know. And you're like, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And he's like so slow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. And, and all the camera work in this scene, and I mean, all the camera work in this movie in general is so good. Yeah. Like the scene of following Jack and Danny down these corridors of the hedges. Mm-hmm. Uh, reminds me of like the scenes where we follow Danny on his trike through the halls, like yeah. that behind perspective, mm-hmm. uh, which it seems like Kubrick does a lot in this movie. And I think in other movies as well. And he loves playing with symmetry a lot. And I, I don't know, just all the filming in this is great. Yeah. But Danny gets out of the hedge maze and then he and Wendy get on that snow vehicle and just leave yeah they get the fuck out and then jack is just like crazed in the hedges Mm -hmm. and then smash cut to jack nicholson's frozen corpse yep (laughs) he froze to death it's so kind of goofy yeah (laughs) like the way he looks face it's very similar to his creepy staring out the window face yeah it is just those insane eyes yeah and then we get this Shot of a slow push in on a framed photo in the hotel and shows that he's in an old timey photo. Yeah. And that he's always been there, maybe. Or it was a past life. It's open to interpretation. Yeah. And that's it. That's that's it. The, the movie ends quite abruptly after that. Yeah. We didn't mention the red rum thing, but obviously there's that reveal that. Red rum mean is murder backwards, <laughs> which at this point there's plenty of we know murder. Yeah, is like we know happen. murder is coming. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to tell us now. Yeah, but, but yeah, that's a movie. You very iconic. Uh, let's talk about the book. Yes, because the book follows a lot of similar beats 
but with some key differences. Yeah, we have a similar confrontation between Jack and Wendy, except in this scene, Jack tries to strangle Wendy to death. Yeah. And almost succeeds. Like, she's literally blacking out. And Danny is there, and he's trying to get Jack to stop. It's really upsetting. And then she hits him over the head with a bottle um, and manages to knock him out. But she, like, almost died. Yeah. She can, like, barely breathe afterwards. And then, of course, the same thing. They drag him to the pantry, lock him in, um, and then go back upstairs. And then Jack is let out again by Grady. God damn it, Grady, again? Yeah. (laughs) You asshole. And he's basically like, you better kill your family this time, man. Yep. He's like, but instead of an axe, I'm going to give you a bludgeoning tool. Yeah. A roquet mallet. Yes. I do love. Is that how you say it? Okay. Well, it's the predecessor to croquet. Yeah. So I'm guessing you say it the same way. That makes sense. Just minus the C is how I'm guessing. Yeah. So correct us if we're wrong. (laughs) Tweet at cover to credits with number two. Uncivilized. (laughs) Cannot pronounce roquet or rogue. Don't know. It's a Q though. Roke. Roke. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's roquet. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So yeah. So he gets the mallet, which I love so much more than the axe. It's so much more like. iconic and specific and creepy uh and so wendy is going to check on jack to make sure he's still in the pantry yeah when surprise he's He's not not in the pantry pantry. you're like why wendy why did you do this (laughs) this is our showdown between jack and wendy and it is gruesome it is he hits her many a time with the mallet and we get a catalog of injuries from her, uh, a couple broken ribs. Her leg is bludgeoned in a couple places. Yeah. Also, she gets hit in the back and like has shattered some vertebrae. Yeah. Um, but luckily, Wendy also happened to have a knife on her. Yeah. Thank God. And she stabs Jack in the back. Oh, yeah. Stabs him. And then he literally, literally just has this knife sticking out of his back like the rest of the time the whole rest of the book yeah yeah <laughs> but i do i mean it is very violent mm-hmm. but it's earned in yeah. my mind like this book has been a whole build-up yeah. to the violence mm-hmm. that we've been expecting and like yeah that jack wants to enact on his family mm-hmm. and it is it is violent and it is gruesome and i but i also do like that it is somewhat of an even fight. Yeah. You know, Wendy is able to defend herself to an extent. She manages to inflict a wound on Jack. That's pretty significant. Yeah. So I do like that. It's not just her screaming and running away. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. Uh, it is a, it's a, a really horrifying scene, but I think it's done really well. It is. She manages to get away and into the apartment and Danny's not there. Yeah which is different from the movie and locks herself in the bathroom. And then Jack kind of beats his way in with the mallet instead of the ax into the uh, room. And then she attacks him when he starts to come into the doorway uh, with razor blades yeah. instead of a knife. I was like, wait, what happened to the knife? And I'm like, oh, it's still in his back. <laughs> <laughs> That's where she left it. <laughs> She should have just like, excuse me, can you hand me my knife back? Can you yes. just like <laughs> take it out of your spine? So uh, Yeah, and he's attacking her. And then similarly, here's Halloran coming with the snow vehicle and kind of goes to confront him instead. And it's a similar situation, except luckily this time, instead of an axe, he only has the roquet mallet. Yeah. So he is able to knock 
Dick unconscious, uh, but he doesn't kill him. Yeah. Although he knocks out most of his teeth. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, but so Wendy's pretty much out of commission. She's just so badly beaten. Yeah. Dick is unconscious. And now Jack is on the prowl for Danny. Mm -hmm. And at this point, we have a scene where Danny and Danny sees Tony once again. Mm -hmm. And we finally get the realization that Tony is like, Danny in the future. Yeah. Like this person that he's been seeing is him older. Yeah. And I don't think it's him, his older self speaking to him. No, but it's almost like an adult version of himself telling Danny what he needs to know. Yeah. And it's a vehicle for his shining to speak to him, but it's, it is himself. And Danny takes, or Tony takes Danny to these places in deep inside himself. And Tony kind of tells him like, it's going to happen. Like, People, your parents might die. You might die. Like, this is it. You have to remember what your dad forgot. Mm -hmm. Which we have forgotten to mention. Yeah. Up until this point. But uh, a big part of the book is that Jack is supposed to watch the boiler. Yeah. In the hotel. And every couple times a day, he's supposed to let off the extra pressure that builds up. She creeps. She creeps. Oh, I love that line. Yeah. He's supposed to let off the extra pressure that builds up. Mm hmm. And Danny doesn't realize this yet, that that's what he, the thing that's forgotten. Mm-hmm. But that's what the thing that was forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> of course, dad comes around the corner and Danny realizes that all his visions of something chasing him, something monstrous are his dad. And there's this great con- confrontation and conversation between them where it's coming for Danny and Danny's like, you're not my dad. Yeah. And, and it's like, it shakes him. Yeah. Like suddenly Jack is like, I mean, he's like full on crazy at this point, but then he's just like yeah, uncertain for a moment. Mm-hmm. And something that I wanted to mention too that we haven't up until this point is that a lot of the things Jack is saying as he's chasing Danny are things his dad used to say. Yeah. You're going to take your medicine, mm-hmm. like calling him pop, calling him a pup. Yeah. Um, just a lot of these lines that were his father's that he's regurgitating now. Yeah. Which just adds to the the dread and the creepiness of the scene. Mm-hmm. But in this moment, suddenly he kind of has a lapse where Danny's talking to him and saying, like, the hotel's lying to you. Yeah. You know, you're not you anymore. You're the hotel. Mm-hmm. And we get a brief moment where Jack is himself again. Yeah. And he's able to tell Danny to run. Yeah. And that he loves him. It's so sad. It is. It's really sad. Because right after that, Jack picks up the mallet again that he dropped when he was talking to Danny. And instead of beating Danny with it, just beats himself in the face with it until there is nothing left. Like blood and bone and everything is gone. Yeah. He's just this like... Faceless monster. Oh my God. That was... It's not like the part that scared me in the book the most. Yeah. But it's kind of like the most unsettling part of this whole climax. Yeah. Where Jack literally bludgeons his own face until there's nothing left of him. Yeah. And I love Danny says he can see like all the different faces of the hotel and his. Yeah. Of Grady, of the manager, of Mm -hmm. like all these other people that he's seen before. Yeah. And finally, he's about to bludgeon Danny now. When Danny remembers the boiler. Yeah, and he's like, you forgot the boiler and the hotel's going to explode. Sorry. (laughs) 
And the thing that isn't Jack anymore is just like, oh, shit, and basically runs to the basement to try to, like, fix the boiler. Danny runs to Halloran and Wendy, who have found each other. They get out of the hotel, like, right when it fucking blows. This is, like, such an action-packed ending. Yeah. Like, right to their backs, like, the explosion throws them off their feet. Mm-hmm. All the topiary animals were waiting for them. They were going to attack them. Yeah. And then they get burned. Yeah, then they start burning up when the hotel explodes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, just, and, and I love the part where Jack gets down to the boiler and, like, he manages to let the pressure out. Yeah. And he's like, we did it. Like, we're not going to explode. It's not too late. We did it. We did. And then just, like, the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. It's great. There's, like, a brief scene where the hotel tries to, like, possess Halloran for like a hot second yeah. to like kill them again and then they finally get away I, I was like is this necessary like <laughs> I know it is a little extreme but I kind of like it's like the hotel's last like dying like attempt yeah to like get them mm-hmm. um, and it almost works but yeah they get away they get away and we get a little epilogue at the end yeah we have this nice scene where it's it's the summertime it's obviously like six months later and they're all in maine and halloran has a new job at this like as a cook at this place and it's just like a moment between the three of them where they're all recovering kind of and then halloran has this great scene with with danny and he just kind of tells him like you're always going to have The Shining. It wasn't your fault what happened. And it's okay to feel sad about things, but you have to, like, move on. I was, like, seriously tearing up. I know. Reading this part. And Danny was like, does that mean you'll be my friend? Oh, my God. <laughs> and it's so sad because he doesn't have any friends. Like, he doesn't have anyone who really knows him and understands him. And Halloran is that because they share this gift. Yeah. And I'm so glad Halloran's just alive I know. as opposed to the movie. And throughout the story, like when he's trying to make his way up to the hotel to save them, he keeps being like, I have to help Danny. Like he just met him that one time, but yeah. he felt such a kinship to him and such a protectiveness. Like he needs to help him. And that really drives him the whole way. Yeah. And it's so beautiful. It is. It's really emotional. And I really love that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the end. That's the end. That's the end of both versions. We did it. We got it done. We got it done. Now, the ultimate question, <laughs> which is better, the book or the movie? Well, should we talk about what Stephen King thinks yeah. first? Let's, let's, let's clue you into Stephen King's feelings about this. Uh, it's no surprise that he thinks his book is better. Yeah. But to the extent is pretty interesting because he hates this movie. Yeah. He has a few quotes about it. Uh, what What was one thing he said? Uh, He said, it's like a great big beautiful Cadillac with no motor inside. (laughs) And that like is really about and he he has the same problem that like I have in terms of Jack never really felt like a real father. Yeah. Like he never really with an arc with an arc. Yeah. He never felt like his struggle with alcoholism isn't really depicted in any way until he's like off the wagon. Yeah. And. He just never had a relationship with anyone. And and that's what Stephen King was kind of saying. He's like, and I think probably too, because this was a very personal book for Stephen King. Oh, yeah. Like literally, like we said earlier, it was a version of himself that he put on the page. Yeah. And so for the person who adapted it to kind of like really wipe away a lot of, and I get, you can't have the amount of backstory and detail to Jack that you do in a book. But 
he really didn't try much at all, in no. my opinion, Kubrick did. Like, I just don't think that's where his concern was. No, and that's not the story that he really wanted to tell. No, but I can see why King would be upset about that mm-hmm. and be like, this is, is a really important story for me. And you really, really kind of ignore the mark. a lot of what I was doing with it. Mm-hmm. I've also heard him say that it's a cold movie. Yeah, it's, it's emotionally cold. It's. It, it wants to hurt people. Mm-hmm. Something like that, he said. Yeah. He also said <laughs> that Shelley Duvall's character in it, the character of Wendy in the film, is one of the most misogynistic characters in film and that she's only there to um, scream and be stupid. Wow. That's a little harsh. Yeah. I agree with the screaming part. Yeah. I don't think she's stupid. No. And that's why, that was my problem with it, was that she still behaves in a lot of... Smart ways. Smart ways, but she's just so, and we get a whole sequence at the end of the movie where when Jack is chasing Danny, it's just her running around the hotel, yeah. seeing scary things and like screaming. Yeah. And it's like, uh, what is she doing? Okay. Like, what is her purpose here? Yeah, yeah. It just feels like really over the top and unnecessary. And mm-hmm. I just like, I don't know. It stresses me out seeing her that stressed out. It does. It is stressful. And maybe that's the point, but. Um, so I guess the question is, do we agree with Stephen King? I agree with Stephen King quite a bit. Yeah. I think what really makes this book good um, isn't really in the movie. The movie is aesthetically great. Like, I love the aesthetics. I love the score. It's iconic. The building suspense. And I think a lot of those elements work really well in the third act. Yeah. Like, by the time Jack Nicholson gets to be crazy and we have the music that's really wild... The problem is, like, during the middle part and the beginning, there's not much character development. All that music is just weirdly placed in my mind. Jack Nicholson already seems unhinged. And I just don't connect with anyone Mm -hmm. in the film. And I can appreciate it aesthetically, but I just don't like it that much. I'm also going to have to choose the book. And I think my reasoning is that this book truly scared me. When I was reading it. And so I have to like appreciate that. And I just really enjoy the depth that we get of Jack's character. We get that we get of Wendy too in her past. We haven't discussed it much in the episode, but she has, you know, a troubled and traumatic history as well. And, you know, King's just really good at what he does. Yeah. And it's really hard to make an adaptation out of his stuff because he does so much psychological. Yeah. That's really hard to display visually and i think that's why so many of the adaptations are not good i agree but um so yeah that's that's the reason i don't have to go with the book Mm-hmm. okay so it's the book from both of us yeah sorry everyone who loves the shining movie i know but i like it for different reasons were you scared at all watching it not really me neither yeah and like people cite this movie as being like truly horrifying and one of the best horror movies of all time there's and some like, like jumpy moments but... yeah but it's not i don't know it's not that scary like it's effective at building the suspense of the scene yeah, in a way, but I'm not, like, scared. Yeah. I don't know. I think horror's come so far. Oh, yeah. Especially recently that, for me, I don't know. The Shining is good in different ways at what it does, but as a horror movie, I, I don't know. I don't think it's actually that scary. But yeah. I was just curious what you thought. I agree. Yeah. Let's do lightning round. Lightning round. Okay, so first off for lightning round, it's not really a lightning round thing, but I just forgot to say it in the episode. I did want to mention that 
a problem that I do have with both the book and the movie is the use of the N-word and other racial slurs towards African-Americans and other um, minority groups as well. It's super problematic. And the first time I read it in the book, I was like, okay, maybe it's just like one person being like an asshole, but it's used repeatedly in the book. And I get it's not like a positive thing, but it's still like, let's not go there. Yeah, I couldn't tell. I I feel like in both the book and the movie, they were trying to get it like the hotel is like older. And so like their prejudice is even like stronger against yeah. Dick. So they're like throwing these racial slurs out more so. Yeah. But it's like the 80s were still probably pretty racist. Yeah, it's probably like not still not OK to do that. No, it's not like <laughs> nobody says this anymore. Yeah. And they do it in the movie as well. So. Yeah, Equal. not as much. The book kind of, it, it it's a little much. It's a book. lot, yeah. Yeah. So just to like, just to hint at um, kind of the insanity of people's theorizing about this movie and like their ideas about what like was going on. Like one of the things I read on IMDb and I heard elsewhere was that like uh, Jack Nicholson was only allowed to eat cheese sandwiches while filming this movie <laughs> because he hated cheese sandwiches. And that's what Stanley Kubrick like wanted. Uh, and then I watched a behind the scenes making of of The Shining. And the first the first thing is Jack Nicholson in his hotel room ordering room service, ordering pasta. <laughs> like the first thing that you see. You're like, haha. And I'm just like. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just like the mania around Kubrick and what people believe. And like people also cite, they're like, ooh, this line in the movie could possibly mean this thing or this thing. And I'm like, that's a line right from the book. Yeah. Like that's a line straight from the book. Like I don't know why you think it means anything more <laughs> than what it is meant to mean. Yeah. Because it comes right out of Stephen King's mouth. So <laughs> there were just so many instances like that. And it honestly, it made me laugh more than anything. It, it, it was interesting to read about. But yeah. And if you're interested in the conspiracy theories, you can watch Room 237. Yeah. I didn't watch it. I just watched some YouTube theorizing and like essays and stuff, which were as ridiculous, I'm sure, as that movie is. But yeah, you know, maybe give it a maybe give it a watch. So next up for lightning round, uh, anyone who's read Stephen King, like I said, knows that he tends to go on and on and on and get really detailed about things that do they matter? Not sure. (laughs) We get this whole bit about this character that Jack wrote at a short story that like sold really well. And it's about this guy named Monkey. And that's like his nickname. And he's a child molester and also murderer. And how he painted him as kind of like a sympathetic character because he had an abusive family. And then like the system failed him and all of this stuff. But it's all about just like so much detail about this fictional character that a fictional character wrote <laughs> I know. in a short, short story. And I'm like, this is a lot. <laughs> Do you think that's a short story Stephen King wrote at one point that like no one he wanted to buy? Yeah. And then he's like, I'll put it in here. And he's like, and it was super great. And everyone loved it. <laughs> and, and it, it was... made a lot of money. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, something I wanted to mention finally from the book. It was a scene that was like really funny and it's a great scene that shows Jack and Wendy's relationship with Danny and like them getting along really well. Mm -hmm. But Danny's powers, like he can read people's minds sometimes like who don't have the shining. And he reads this woman's mind who's being uh, let into her car by a chauffeur. Yeah. And in her head, she thinks I'd like to get in his pants. (laughs) 
And then Danny's like, what does that mean? And like <laughs> later on, he asks Dick Holleran like yeah. by himself and like Dick just starts laughing super loud. And he's like, it's nothing. He's like, don't. Don't ask your parents about it. <laughs> Never mention it again. <laughs> uh, I actually got that confused for a moment, but there's another part where Danny's parents are talking about when Jack used to uh, trim the neighbor lady's hedges <laughs> and like was clearly using it as like a euphemism for like banging her. Yeah. And then Danny's just oblivious and he's like, why did she have like big hedges or like were they like <laughs> extra bushy, extra bushy and like the parents are just like cracking up, like trying not to laugh at him. Yeah. Um. But like Stephen King writes it in such a way that it's like from Danny's perspective, but you know what the joke is and it's just really effective and I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. Good use <laughs> of like a child. Yes. Yeah. And like his perspective on things. So that's yeah. it for lightning round. That's it for the episode. Thank, Thank you for you. listening. Thank you. Hopefully Thank you. you've made it this far. Yes, this was a fun one. Glad we finally got a chance to do it. And yeah, I mean, there's so much to talk about with this episode. Obviously, we couldn't cover it all. Um, send us your thoughts, though. Um, send us an email at covertocreditspod at gmail.com. And then if you'd like to tweet at us, you can tweet at cover2credits with the number two in there. We're also on Facebook and on Instagram. And we're also on Patreon, which... I, we said this at the beginning of the episode, but this was a patron-requested episode. Mm-hmm. So our patrons really do, we listen to their suggestions, and we make a priority to do episodes based on what they request. So, you know, head on over there. Um, you can become a patron at any level and get all our bonus episodes and extra content. Speaking of bonus episodes, something we didn't mention was that Stephen King hated this movie so much that in 1997, he created his own TV miniseries <laughs> version of The Shining. Yeah. Uh, that was a three-part miniseries. Uh, it is not good. It is notoriously hated. And we feel like we have to talk about it. Oh, I yeah. Mean, never has there been so much controversy between author and uh, director of an adaptation and their feuding. Yeah. And, like, this is, like, crazy. So... For a bonus episode that is a patron exclusive, we will be talking about the miniseries Miniseries. that Stephen King himself, I believe, like show ran or at Mm -hmm. least was like heavily involved in. Wrote the scripts at least. And it's a much more close adaptation of the story and... Much worse in terms of visuals, I think, (laughs) (laughs) and effects. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about that and posting a bonus episode about that. So if you want to hear it, just become a patron. All you have to do is become a patron at any level. Mm -hmm. So keep an eye out for that. And thanks for listening to this episode. And we'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.